a trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Welcome to the place where we gather to revel in wrong think. And you know, I say that tongue-in-cheek like, yeah, it's going to be a crime someday. And actually, I, I really thought, you know, that's good si- that's satire, right? Like they would actually criminalize thinking outside the uh, boundaries. But these days, I kind of wonder. I don't know. The dire- direction things seem to be headed. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Somebody posted a question yesterday online and asked, hey, uh, What's the likelihood you think they're going to arrest Trump and perp walk him, you know, just uh, for the optics, you know, to make sure he absolutely positively is not going to be able to run in 2024. And it was interesting to hear the reactions. You know, some people were like, well, you know, they they might try to do that. Or then again, they might uh, end up really energizing even the fence sitters by engaging in such a blatant act of political justice. But you have to admit You know, I kind of fall on the side of, no, they're not going to do something like that, you know. But after what I've seen in the last couple of years, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I can say with confidence that that wouldn't take the, wouldn't, wouldn't uh, be a possibility, I should say. It could take place. Hope it doesn't, but it could. Anyway, I'm not here to uh, shill for Trump. I'm just saying the, the politicizing of our justice system should be obvious to anybody who's paying attention. But you would think that, uh, you know, that they would say, ooh, that's not good. That could be used against me. Even even the people who vehemently hate Trump or Trump supporters or think that January 6th was an insurrection, you would think they would have at least enough, you know, insight or farsightedness to go, wow. What happens, for instance, if the Republicans were to assume control? Would there be, you know, some back and forth here? See, I don't think that uh, the people in power want to establish the kind of uh, precedent of perp-walking a former president. Although, you know, wouldn't the Republicans gain control? Do you think there's a possibility that could happen to people like Joe Biden or Hunter Biden or maybe Dr. Fauci? I don't know. I don't know. Actually going to be spending some time talking about Fauci and others who've been uh, uh, told by a federal judge that, yes, they will need to be deposed in a court of law. Before we go there, let's talk a little bit about the current state of political justice in America. Daniel McAdams had an excellent article earlier this week on the uh, Ron Paul Institute website. That's ronpaulinstitute.org. And he points out Joseph Stalin's top henchman famously said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Now, what it meant was that Soviet justice was about politics, not the rule of law. First decide who, for political reasons, is to be punished. Then the state will provide the crimes for which he will be charged. This is starting to sound familiar? (laughs) I know, it made me nervous too. This dark era of politicized justice, Daniel says, has returned with former Trump campaign advisor Steve Bannon's recent sentence to four months in jail for contempt of Congress over his refusal to appear before the House January 6th committee. How is it politicized justice for Bannon to be published for ignoring a subpoena from the U.S. Congress? Well, because before him, many before him actually have been charged with contempt of Congress, including Democratic Party luminaries like Eric Holder, Janet Reno, and Lois Lerner. Yet they were never sentenced to jail time. 
Bannon's sentence is, is meant to convey a political message to America. If you support Trump, you are a criminal, and you may find yourself in a cell next to Steve Bannon. And even, and even you know, you don't have to support Trump to understand the danger in this. He says everyone should be afraid of political justice because it cuts both ways. And there's no guarantee that the Republicans, if they capture Congress, will not also follow this precedent. So sending your political opponents to jail is what happens in a banana republic. It's un-American, but Daniel McAdams says here we are. The goal of the January 6th committee is not to seek justice for the crime of trespassing and putting feet on Pelosi's sacred desk, but to make sure that Donald Trump is never allowed to run for president again. That is the reason for that hundreds have been unjustly arrested and held in terrible conditions for non-crimes. As they say, if you want to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs. Speaking of contempt of Congress, the real contempt is the existence of the January 6th committee in the first place. It's been a partisan show trial run from the beginning where only two, a quote, Republican members were not chosen by Republicans, but by Nancy Pelosi. The purpose of the committee has been to prop up the false narrative that somehow a few rowdy protesters who broke into the Capitol building were the equivalent of the storming of the Bastille. The U.S. administration is also involved in narrative control in other areas. The media reported last week that Tesla and SpaceX chief Elon Musk has come under a national security review over, it seems, his on-again, off-again purchase of Twitter and perhaps his uh, even his proposing a peace plan for Russia and Ukraine that does not include a nuclear strike on Moscow. Now, Musk has also come under fire from the cancel culture left over his repeated vows to return Twitter to a free speech platform once he's in charge. As we've seen in so many cases, including with former New York Times journalist Alex Berenson, Twitter has been working closely with the Biden administration to silence and ban any users who dare challenge the accepted wisdom on COVID, Ukraine, and a number of other things. So when justice becomes so tangled in politics, freedom and liberty go out the window. Now, Daniel McAdams says, we're not so naive as to think this is something that just arrived with the Biden administration, but this seems, there seems to be little doubt that it's spreading like cancer. We must reject political justice if the republic is to survive. And I know for some people, it's okay, hey, well, that's disappointing because we wanted to do unto them what they were fixing to do unto us. Yeah, that's not good government, though. Like, I, I, I still maintain the best thing to do is where we can separate the abusers from power. Take that power away from them and don't ever give it back again. I know it sounds very simple, but that's what's going to have to be done. And, and, and maybe I'm being, you know, maybe I'm engaging in wishful thinking here. Really, I'm not a political animal and I don't get all breathless and, oh, wow, you know, here comes the election. I just, I can't wait to get my I voted sticker. But I do think that there is great potential that this midterm election is going to be the first opportunity for a lot of people to step up and with their vote, repudiate not just, you know, a particular politician or a particular party, but all of the policies that were used to subjugate us and put us under government's thumb in a really, really bad position over the last nearly three years. I think it's time. And I, and I think the, the people who are in power are desperate I think that's why they're resorting to some of the, the weird chicanery that they're engaged in right now. I think they are just, they, they know that a reckoning is coming. 
And, and as bad as this sounds, you know, I, I shared this meme with a friend yesterday. You know, I think that, yeah, they would probably endorse the beginning of a nuclear war in order to protect whatever secrets, you know, either Ukraine has on the Biden family or whatever official misdeeds have been uh, done in conjunction with Ukraine and other countries. Basically, all of their nasty plans are starting to be unraveled. And as we're going to talk about in an upcoming segment, even Dr. Fauci is being told, look, you need to testify. You need to actually uh, answer these questions yourself. I hate to talk about individuals, you know, personalities, because this sounds more like gossip than it does, you know, talking about uh, principles and ideals. But I'm just, let the record show. Dr. Fauci is one of the slimiest and slipperiest politicians. I thought Bill Clinton was glib. Well, it depends on what your definition of is, is. You know, I mean, he just, he was such a slick used car salesman. Slick Willie was, you know, totally, you know, a fitting nickname for him. He's got nothing on Dr. Fauci. And, and, and Fauci's squirming. I mean, he, he does not want to sit there and have to officially answer questions under oath. I wonder why. And, you know, you don't have to go too far down the rabbit hole to start asking yourself questions like, why did key members of Congress and why did certain public health officials just happen to buy or sell the right stocks at the right time and, or, you know, be invested in companies that, uh, oh, for instance, you know, made vaccines and whatnot and uh, make very handsome amounts of money during a time of crisis? I mean, they were perfectly positioned. If that doesn't speak to a conflict of interest... Yeah, I think there, there are some questions that need to be answered. Now, you might say, well, you're just grasping at straws here. But, you know, ask yourself what was being done to the American people. First of all, is that justifiable? And then on top of that, if the people who were imposing those soul-crushing, livelihood-destroying policies on the public, if they were quietly getting enriched through backroom deals or they're having the right connections at the right time, due to policies that they imposed. Yeah, that doesn't pass the sniff test. Not for me, and it shouldn't pass it for you either. So what do we do? Well, we start by holding them accountable. I think that would start in a court of law, possibly a criminal trial. And for people who quail at the idea of, oh, but that just sounds so so violent. Yeah, kind of like, you know, arresting people, holding them for two years and you know, charging them with uh, offenses that would land them in prison for several years when they were just basically setting foot in the Capitol without permission. Kind of like that. Is that extreme? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Welcome back to the show. A quick shout-out here to GarageDoorProServices.com. Yes, they are one of my premier sponsors on this program. I appreciate them so much, and I want to recommend them to my listeners in St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, or Colorado City, or the surrounding area there. That takes in a pretty good chunk of southwestern Utah. And uh, these are the folks you want to talk to for installation, service, and repair of garage doors. Doors that are made in America. They also have commercial service available, so it's not just residential, but call them at 435-525-2773 or go to garagedoorproservices.com. 
So I want to share something with you that I, I found really interesting and actually kind of encouraging. You know, of course, our mainstream media is extremely attached to its uh, narratives surrounding January 6th. I mean, really attached. So when, when you see citizens, mere citizens, pushing back against members of the mainstream media and correcting them on falsehoods, well, that's kind of satisfying because it means the truth is out there and it's slowly but surely getting out. Listen to this exchange between an MSNBC reporter and a group of uh, January 6th uh, commentators. These are, these are actually Pittsburgh-area Trump voters being interviewed about the events of January 6th. Listen to this. Mastriano was at the insurrection, and he was photographed breaching one of the restricted areas. Is that okay? Which area? Because I saw a video where Capitol officers yes. were taking away barriers and unlocking doors, doors. People. So, yeah. I mean, I... They opened the gates. So it shouldn't be disqualifying for an elected official no, no, no. if they no, participated in January 6th. He didn't, he didn't strike anybody. He didn't hurt anybody. Yeah, and the only one that died was a protester there, not a Capitol Police An unarmed officer. female veteran. Was That's the only one that died. That's well, the only one who died. A police officer did die. No. It was a stroke. Attack. That's not... That's not, not on site. Caused by that, that's because right. he shouldn't have been a police officer. It was one woman. So, what do you him. make though overall of January sixth? I mean, it was watching that footage. It was pretty disturbing. I mean, there were people throwing excrement at the walls, and it was our, you know, it's the Capitol. That it looked a true. lot like Antifa's actions. Yeah, it looked a lot, of, except on a much smaller scale. It looked the same as the Black Lives Matter riots. That's it's what I saw. The similarities to be. Minneapolis burns. Kenosha burns. But so it's okay Waukesha just because burns. just because I, one side that you no, disagree with. I'm it's saying okay Antifa for, infiltrated. It's good for one. It's good for the other. Anybody I don't who see harmed anybody, anybody who caused property destruction, that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, but if you're there your making side. your voice heard at the right. people's house, no less. Yeah. That, that's again, it's a fundamental constitutional right of an American citizen. And people should not be being held political prisoner uh, because of it. For misdemeanors. That's East Germany. That's East Germany. Yeah, that's what's scary. It was an actual fiery but mostly peaceful protest. And the other ones that that were the opposite. Was the protest legitimate in your eyes? administration, I feel like, is using it as their Reichstag fire. That's exactly what they're using it as. Mm -hmm. Isn't Do you that think that something? President Trump could have quelled the violence that day? Not him. I, I don't think no. so, no. I don't think so. It started while he was still speaking. I was actually there. I, I, I was there to, to see what I thought was going to be the last time I ever saw Trump in Little Diana. So did he tell everybody to go and, and start riding? No. I didn't think so. No, it, and it actually, um, I, I, I stayed for the whole speech, like, a ton of people did. Mm-hmm. And then we all headed to the Capitol because he said, let's go to the Capitol and, and peacefully let, peacefully let our voices keyword. be heard. And we get to the Capitol and we're like, what the hell's going on? Because it had already happened. I'm pretty sure I saw Democratic operatives instigating people to oh, cross totally. barriers. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that poor host. I mean, she's she's got to be going, oh, man, how do I get out of this? How do, can, we, can we cut to a commercial? But... You know, I love that these folks are pushing back, you know, uh, pushing back gently. I still maintain Julie Kelly, who writes for amgreatness.com, is one of the best resources to go to on this. And we're talking people are being sentenced to four or five years in federal prison 
for parading and and for other things like that. They're not being charged with insurrection or, you know, otherwise trying to overthrow the government. They're just being charged with with uh, simple things like trespassing or parading and and yet uh, their lives are being turned upside down. This is what we mean by politicized justice. And what's sad is I, I read uh, an article yesterday, and I think it was Julie Kelly who talked about uh, the if, if, for instance, the Democrats manage to carry the day in these midterm elections, already the Department of Justice is making noise that they are gearing up to do hundreds of more arrests. I think they said that they've arrested around 800 people so far charging them with various crimes. But there's at least 2,000 people believed to have entered the Capitol illegally. And it sounds like the Justice Department intends to go after every single one of them. Now, I know it's it's, it's popular for people to hate on Trump supporters. Well, they deserved it there. That's what happens when you when you stand up against our democracy. When you doubt when you are an election denier. (laughs) That's what happens. You deserve it. But that's, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't think they quite understand, you know, the, the double standard that's at play here. And then maybe, you know, I'm, I'm not wishing for, well, the Republicans to take over and do exactly that to them. Anytime you allow government to be abusive like this, it will be used against you eventually. So the people who are cheering, oh, those MAGA people are getting what they're, what they deserve. They have no idea that the moment their usefulness is up, and that'll be a lot sooner than they think. The order's going to be up against the wall. Because the people who are using them as a means to attain more and more power, they're not going to have patience for them. And they'll dispose of them just as totalitarians have done throughout history. If you look at my show notes today, I actually have, have a meme that describes very well this disconnect. Showing the, the reaction when Putin jails political opponents, people bawling, Oh no, that's authoritarianism! But when Biden jails political opponents, they smile. Wow, I love democracy. So at the the risk of, you know, pushing too many buttons at once here, democracy is simply mob rule. And when people talk about, well, this was a threat to our democracy, all they're talking about is the protests were not in any danger of toppling the American government. Nobody was armed. It wasn't going to happen like that. When they say our democracy was threatened by this, what they mean is our rule. The grasp of power within our hands, our rule and our ability to force people to do what we tell them to do, that's what, was, that's what they were concerned with losing. And it wasn't so much a matter of they were going to be dragged out into the streets and hanged or something like that. It was simply a large-scale manifestation of people saying, this is not legitimate, or we don't believe the results, or you haven't convinced us that this was on the up and up. Notice we're still not allowed to question this. And, and sadly, I see people on the libertarian side as well as uh, people on the, you know, the rhino Republican side. Well, you cannot vote for anybody who's an election denier. That's just, uh, wow, that's, that's terrible. Look, you don't have to be a Trump supporter. You don't have to be stumping to, to get Trump back in office to say, There was a lot of weird stuff going on with that 2020 election, not to mention, oh, the previous five years or so of the people who uh, who stood to gain power in 2020, you know, working feverishly and, and by hook or crook, doing everything they could to unseat 
the guy who got elected in 2016. This is after they were protesting. That was not a legitimate election. Russia interfered. I'm sorry, it just doesn't add up for me that uh, the people who lost all rationality and were willing to cast aside all the rules of right and wrong because, you know, hey, you know, it's, it's the, the ends that justify the means. Somehow they got religion. Somehow their sense of uh, propriety was, was engaged and they set aside all those differences and everything was on the up and up for the 2020 election. I don't buy it. I mean, if that makes me a conspiracy theorist, great. But just understand, I'm not stumping for Trump to be returned to power. I just want to know that these, sorry, I want to call them a bad name. These folks, <laughs> I want to know they're not monkeying with the system to, to spin results in a direction of their choosing. Because if they are, they deserve to be disconnected from power quickly and permanently as possible. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show, and thank you so much to lifesavingfoods.com. I'm sorry, it's actually lifesavingfood, as in the singular, .com, hslammo.com, and also monticellocollege.org. So I know that there's a lot of attention focused on the midterm elections, and, and rightly so. There's This is going to be interesting at every level. I think that uh, you're starting to see a real... Uh, separation between the people who are serious about maintaining their rights, claiming them, using them, defending them, as as uh, one of my uh, Bundy family friends would tell me, and those who are just serious about maintaining power over everybody for anything. I know which side I'm on. I hope you've you figured out which side you're on. But as you watch those uh, midterm elections, you know, gathering attention, there is another battle that we'll want to keep an eye on when those midterm elections are over. And it's the one where Fauci and others will be deposed. Now, there's an article by Dr. Aaron Curiati. This is on the Brownstone Institute's website, brownstone.org. Let me just hit a couple of the high points here. This is, this is going to be interesting because it's going, it's going to pit some of the key untouchables in the federal government against people who want to hold them accountable. Dr. Curiati says... I've posted before on our Missouri versus Biden lawsuit in which the states of Missouri and Louisiana, along with four private plaintiffs, Jay Bhattacharya, Martin Koldorf, the advocacy group Health Freedom Louisiana, and yours truly, represented by the new Civil Liberties Alliance, are suing the Biden administration for alleged free speech violations. Dr. Cariotti says we now have strong evidence that the executive branch of the federal government has been colluding with social media to censor content on social media platforms, including Twitter, Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. They're censoring anything that, that questions, challenges, or contradicts the government's COVID policies. Well, this week, he says the federal judge in our case granted our request to obtain deposition testimony under oath from the following current or former government officials. Number one, NIAID Director and White House Chief Medical Advisor, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Number two, Deputy Assistant to the President and Director of White House Digital Strategy, Rob Flaherty, or also a, or former White House Senior COVID-19 Advisory, uh, Andrew Slavitt. Slavitt rather. Uh, number three, what former White House Press Secretary, Jen Psaki. Number four, FBI Supervisory Special Agent, Elvis Chan. 
Number five, CISA director Jen Easterly or CISA official Lauren Protantis. Number six, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. Number seven, CDC chief of the digital media branch Carol Crawford. Number eight, acting coordinator of the State Department's Global Engagement Center Daniel Kimmage. Now, Dr. Kiradi says it's worth noting that Fauci maybe responded to his interrogatory written questions, denying that he had any communications with social media platforms. But in typical Fauci fashion, he also responded in a potentially slippery manner. Specifically, he allowed underling Jill Harper to sign off on the NAIAD responses, even though the written questions were addressed by our attorneys to him. The judge refused to take his written word by proxy as sufficient as the court order describes. Listen to this judge call Fauci, you know, to stand up here. Government defendants, he says, quote, government defendants have submitted to plaintiffs interrogatory responses on behalf of Dr. Fauci, asserting that he has no, he has had no direct communications with any social media platforms regarding censorship. Plaintiffs in turn argue that they should not be required to simply accept those blanket statements as they were submitted, and they argue three reasons why Dr. Fauci should be questioned under oath. First, plaintiffs assert that Dr. Fauci has refused to verify under oath his own interrogatory responses in violation of this court's order. The NIAD, the NIA, the NIAID's responses were instead verified by Dr. Jill Harper, who was not named in the complaint. Accordingly, Dr. Fauci has made no statements under oath regarding his communications with social media platforms, which violates this court's order regarding the discovery that instructed Dr. Fauci to provide interrogatory responses. The court sees the importance of having Dr. Fauci make statements under oath as it relates to the issues of this matter. Okay, I just have to step out for a moment here and say, wow, that's important. They want Dr. Fauci under oath answering for himself. Man, to be a fly on the wall when that's happening. I would love to see that little man squirm. Next, the judge says plaintiffs argue even if Dr. Fauci can prove he never communicated with social media platforms about censorship. There are compelling reasons that suggest Dr. Fauci acted through intermediaries and acted on behalf of others in procuring the social media censorship of credible scientific opinions. Plaintiffs argue that even if Dr. Fauci acted indirectly or as an intermediary on behalf of others, it is still relevant to the plaintiff's preliminary injunction motion. The court agrees. Lastly, plaintiffs argue that Dr. Fauci's credibility has been in question on matters related to supposed COVID-19 misinformation since 2020. Specifically, plaintiffs state that that Dr. Fauci made public statements on the efficacy of masks, the percentage of the population needed for herd immunity, NAIID's funding of -of gain-of-function virus research in Wuhan, the lab leak theory, and more. Plaintiffs urge that his comments on these important issues are relevant to the matter at hand and are further reasons why Dr. Fauci should be deposed. Plaintiffs assert that they should not be required to simply accept Dr. Fauci's self-serving blanket denials that were issued from someone other than himself at face value. The court agrees. End quote. Dang it. That's, I mean... Dr. Fauci, you have something you'd like to say? I would, I would watch him go, I take the fifth. <laughs> anyway, the court concluded Fauci's written word was not sufficient given other evidence in the record, some of which was presented in, in the complaint, some of which was summarized in the judge's order. Now, there's been some commentary in the, in the, 
in the press that, you know, uh, in this latest development on the on the case, Miranda Devine at the New York Post, for instance, describes the suit as already uncovering astonishing evidence of an entrenched censorship scheme cooked up between the federal government and big tech that would make communist China proud. Her New York Post article also describes how that publication was under the thumb of this censorship regime leading up to the presidential election. I'm going to skip ahead here because there's there's a lot to cover here. But but again, read this article. It's linked in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Again, this is for October 26, 2022. From Dr. Aaron Kirati. And it's brownstone.org. Also, he points out that... Uh, Commenting on the lawsuit this week, the intrepid Tyler Durden over at Zero Hedge described how his publication was subjected to censorship by the regime for commentary on the origins of the virus. So if you look at the timeline that shows in February of 2020, Fauci, former NIH director Francis Collins and several other advisors were discussing a Zero Hedge article on a preprint paper out of India, suggesting that COVID-19 had similar features to HIV. Places within a day, Twitter suspended us for publishing evidence that the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which was conducting NIH-funded experiments to make COVID more transmissible to humans, might have something to do with the exotic new COVID-19 strain that broke out across town at a wet market. Twitter's excuse? We doxed a Chinese scientist to using publicly available information, in other words, not doxing, who created a job posting related to his research on bat covid and he includes the, the relevant uh, tweets here, you know, as that, uh, that show this. The Epic Times also published a thorough, thoroughly detailed article this week, including a summary of three of the other officials Judge Doherty has ordered to be opposed, to be deposed, rather. The court also found that, Fl- that uh, Flaherty, Saki, Andy Slavitt, and other officials have personal knowledge about these alleged censorship issues and ordered them to be deposed. Interesting. So this this case is going to continue to develop. And you can follow more of those updates on the Brownstone Institute website. But in the meantime, Dr. Aaron Curiati says, don't be afraid to say what you actually think. Of course, with decency and civility, but without suppressing what you know or believe to be true. You might even want to consider uh, subscribing to his Substack. He's been a really good source of information. And he's been one of these pariahs, you know, who very early on was singled out for, wow, you can't possibly hold that opinion because, you know, that's that's contrary to what conventional wisdom says. But boy, the conventional wisdom has been wrong. Ooh, they have been wrong time after time. I'm just grateful that there's finally some accountability that goes right to the top. And it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, again, how... I, I know that those within the federal system, that apparatus, they're going to work very hard to protect their own. But man, I would love to see Dr. Fauci held to account, personally, have to answer under oath. We'll see if the, we'll see if the justice is politicized or if we can get some real justice. But uh, somebody's got to start answering some questions. It would be fun to see these individuals among those who are being held accountable. I'm sorry. I, I just hope that doesn't sound too much like I'm rubbing my hands together and cackling in maniacal glee. <laughs> They're going to get theirs. I just want to see them defend their decisions. And if they can't, then, then I want to see justice applied. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. If you would, please consider subscribing to my show notes, which I publish on a daily basis. I will send out uh, all the different links of the various authors, articles, the various guests that I have on the program. And you can uh, you can examine them at your leisure. Depends on, you know, how much truth you're looking for. I'm not just going to dump the whole truckload in your lap and say, there you go. <laughs> it's all yours. You know, carry on. But I, I, I do this free of charge. I'll even throw in the bonus of my uh, daily hide in plain sight feature, which is basically just a little short... A little short uh, featurette of some um, common sense principle that's really obvious, but yet uh, sometimes seems overlooked, as if it were hiding in plain sight. See how we did that? Kind of playing with the words. So a couple quick articles to touch on in this segment. First one I want to talk about is that big push towards green energy. It's being used to justify lowering the developed world's standard of living in a big way. That's part of the goal. Well, in order to have a sustainable future, we have to essentially give up a lot of the things that we enjoy, like air conditioning and heat in the winter. Oh, that's not asking too much. Uh, Let me just go ahead and build another igloo out on the lawn and see if I can find some uh, blubber oil to heat my lamp and, you know, to light my way into my igloo. No, I don't think I'm, I'm quite down with that. But this is an article by Nick Giambruno. It's from International Man. Amid the energy crisis, the green delusion collides with reality. Here's what happens next. And this crunches some actual numbers here that I think are, are telling. 25 refrigerators. That's how much additional electricity consumption per household would be if the average U.S. home adopted electric vehicles. Huh. Congressman Thomas Massey, an electrical engineer, revealed this information while discussing with Pete Buttigieg, the Secretary of Transportation, President Biden's plan to have 50% of the cars sold in the U.S. electric by 2030. Now, the current and future grid in most places will not be able to support each home running 25 refrigerators, not even close. And they point out, look at California, where the grid is already buckling under the existing load. Massey claims... Correctly, he says in his view, that the notion of widespread adoption of electric vehicles anytime soon is a dangerous fantasy based on political science, not sound engineering. By the way, since Massey graduated from uh, MIT, I think he might actually have a clue in this. He's not he's not out of his lane. Nevertheless, Western governments are falling over themselves to shun hydrocarbons, especially of Russian origin, and to promote so-called green technologies like electric vehicles and supposed renewables like wind and solar, which are better termed as unreliables. Here's the big problem, though. Wind and solar might be useful in specific situations. Still, it's ridiculous to think they can provide reliable baseload power for advanced industrial economies, even as they are now, Never mind when every household is running 25 refrigerators. So it's not complicated. When it comes to reliable baseload power, most of humanity has just three choices. Number one, hydrocarbons, including coal, oil, and gas. Number two, nuclear power. Number three, we abandon modern civilization for a pre-industrial standard of living. Now, aside from friendly aliens delivering a new magical energy technology, there are no other alternatives for most places. So with the Western government's intent on going green, sanctioning Russia and shunning hydrocarbons, 
it boils down to a simple choice. They can either embrace nuclear energy, which has zero carbon emissions, or give up reliable electricity. Now, he says, I suspect it won't be long, perhaps sometime this winter, before Western governments turn to nuclear energy in a big way. There are indications they're already doing that. In short, the green delusion is an enormous market distortion, a blessing in disguise. Distortions in the market allow shrewd speculators to get positioned for big potential profits as they collide with reality. Uranium mining stocks stand to be a primary beneficiary of this trend. It's making uranium's already attractive supply and demand situation even more appealing. Nuclear power plants account for most of the demand for uranium. They're inseparably linked to the uranium price and market cycles. Now, a nuclear power plant produces energy by splitting uranium atoms. The energy released boils water, producing steam that drives turbine generators. These plants use fuel made from uranium ore. So first the miners extract the ore from the ground, then it's enriched and made into fuel pellets. Every year, the world's active nuclear plants need about 137 million pounds of uranium. This demand is inflexible, meaning the power plants must obtain uranium or the lights go out. Couple this inflexible demand with a precarious supply situation in which most production occurs in unstable regions like Africa and Central Asia. And further, it typically takes 10 years to bring a new, a new mine online. In short, it's difficult for producers to catch up to production or to ramp up production rather while uranium demand is rising. In fact, it can take years for them to catch up. So as a result, the, the price is the only way for the market to resolve itself. That's why the uranium price can have extraordinary spikes. Now he goes into looking at the big picture for uranium from here and talks about uh, you know why it doesn't just settle into equilibrium during these periods. The uranium price often overshoots where it needs to go to balance the market, creating an enormous bull market, which then turns into a massive bear market. And it's a cycle that's played out three times before, but he says, I don't think it'll happen again. He says, what I see is a precarious supply situation that includes shrinking production capacity, a long lead time to develop new mines, roughly 10 years, dwindling inventories, and an unstable geopolitical situation in which countries are scrambling to secure their energy supplies. Yet at the same time, there's growing or inflexible demand from new nuclear power plants. So with supply shrinking and demand rising, he says, I think the stage is set for uranium prices to overshoot to the upside, just as we saw in the three previous bull market cycles with similar dynamics. That's Nick GM Bruno writing for internationalman.com. You know, I there was a time, you know, when I was a young, impressionable kid and believed what I read in the newspaper that I probably would have been against nuclear power. But the more I've talked with people who actually, you know, have degrees in engineering and particularly in physics, the more I think this, this is the way. This is what we should have been doing all along. So I kind of like to see that shift. But it would also supply, it would also give us a lot more independence than we have. And that's, for some reason, that seems to be the, the disqualifying factor. What? Independence? Oh, we don't want these people thinking they can really do or make, they make things work for themselves. Somebody always wants to remind us why we need them. That's sad. All right, one final article that I want to touch on. This is a fairly lengthy one, but I think you should take a good look at it. It's from Brandon Smith from alt-market.us. If red states want protection from collapse, they will have to build alternative economies. 
I find myself more and more drawn to the idea of instead of trying to fix what remains of what we have left, you know, of good government, I think we ought to be focusing on building what comes next. And that means creating parallel institutions, including parallel economies. Brandon says, economic decentralization is the ultimate form of organized, I'm sorry, he says economic centralization is the ultimate form of organized conspiratorial power because it allows a small group of people to dictate the terms of trade for a society and therefore dictate the terms of each person's individual survival. For example, the Federal Reserve as a banking entity has free reign to assert policy controls that can disrupt the very fabric of the U.S. economy and the buying power of our currency. They can and do arbitrarily create trillions of dollars from thin air, causing inflation or arbitrarily raise interest rates and crash stock markets. And according to our former to former Fed chairman, Alan Greenspan, they answer to no one, including the U.S. government. Now he says, uh, we can do better than this. He says, I believe that the Fed is, is not working to save, you know, the economy. They're actually working to destroy it. But he says, we now have multiple threats that are coming from our current economic problems. Stagflation is one of them. Treasury bond crisis is another. The stock market spiral. Currency alternatives are, are something that we actually need to be taking a look at. Things that can be pursued at the state level to help mitigate the disaster of economic collapse. And those currency alternatives... See, states like uh, Texas, Utah, and Louisiana all have legislation in place to utilize gold and silver as legal tender. So those efforts need to be expanded to as many states as possible. There's also the possibility of a state bank. North Dakota has its own state-run bank that provides credit opportunities specifically to North Dakota locals and North Dakota businesses. He talks about localized trade alternatives, state incentives for industry I think this is one of the this is one of the best articles you're going to see this week because it's talking real solutions that are closer to the people who who have skin in the game but you're likely going to see them develop at the state level. And I know this is this is probably going to enrage the federal supremacists among us they're going to be oh, well, somebody's got to rein that in you know the constitution the supremacy clause. Look, I'm not saying that uh, the states need to rise up and declare their secession. But I am saying that the ones who are working on building these parallel systems are probably going to be a lot better when, uh, you know, the house of cards comes tumbling down than the ones who put it off. Maybe they could use our help in uh, leading out on this. What do you think? This is The Brian Hyde Show.